This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. Consider a career with the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers. As a Boilermaker apprentice, you'll earn while you learn. We offer excellent wages and benefits. And as part of our no-cost, hands-on apprenticeship program, you'll learn from the best in state-of-the-art training centers and on the job. Become a union Boilermaker and get on your way to a great career. Visit Boilermakers.org or call 844-IBB-WELD. Listen to the Labor and Energy Show and get educated from expert guests about climate change. What they say and who they are will surprise you. Presented by PBF Energy, Neuter Construction, and Furness Electrical Contractors. The Labor and Energy Show, this Sunday night at 6. And guess where this additional billion gallons of biofuel is going to come from? It's going to come from abroad. That's not an American first energy policy. We're in this together. Labor's in this. Building trades are in this. Refiners are in this. American consumers need us to do this, too. Now across the Jacob Media Network, welcome to the Labor and Energy Show special. Exclusively presented by the PBF Energy Paulsboro Refinery and the PBF Delaware City Refinery in collaboration with the labor unions that build our communities. If you fix this RINs issue, you're looking at a reduction of 25 to 30 cents a gallon. This is the Labor and Energy Show, bringing labor leaders, national experts, and political influencers together to educate you about fancy terms like RINs and Reggie, while explaining the truth about energy independence. Welcome to the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause. And welcome in, everyone, to another edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause. As we get started on another week, J-Doc, before I toss it over to you, I did want to throw out a reminder to our listening audience. If you missed any of last week's special conversation on RINs, J-Doc, I want to remind our listeners they can download that podcast. Just go to Apple or Spotify, search the Labor and Energy Show, and you'll hear a show last week. You'll, you'll see the library of shows, J-Doc, but last week's show uh, was kind of a push-button moment for us uh, with that latest ruling or that latest bill about RINs, and we're going to start to manage that conversation. Yeah, the RFS, Joe, definitely. Um, what, what timing it was as we launch our new action alert initiative. Um, so yeah, fantastic show. If you haven't heard it, definitely, um, you know, tune in, get the podcast. Um, also one of the things I wanted to touch base with as we launch this broadcast, cause we've got a fantastic show, uh, our next labor and energy, uh, summit is our labor and energy leadership summit, which will, uh, be, which will air, uh, across the East Coast on uh, January seventh and eighth, the weekend. So, and that and that will include uh, labor leadership and, in, and energy inter, uh, industry uh, leadership on the broadcast together. Uh, of course, we've we've done the shale industry summit, the refining industry summit, and the Western Alliance Western Energy Alliance summit, and some incredible uh, guests. But also, uh, you know, topics uh, and educating the public is what we're all about in common sense and energy, Joe. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to those as well. All right. Good stuff. We'll get started. We thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Labor and Energy Show 
with Jadok and Krause. So uh, this week's guest is, is uh, Chet Thompson, president and CEO uh, of the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers, AFPM. Uh, Chet, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate everything you guys do. The show is fantastic. And Shout out for what you guys did last week on the RFS. Thanks for bringing attention to that issue. Yeah, I mean, and we appreciate the kind words, and and uh, certainly, uh, you know, we're all in on this because too many people just don't have the the information. It gets lost in politics, uh, and and the fact of the matter is, is that uh, you know we we talk about common sense and, and energy. We have such a big workforce, um, you know, in our energy industry, and certainly we thank, uh, of course, Brendan Williams. Uh, uh, for 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 co-producing the show with us, uh, he's phenomenal. And so, Chad, if, if if you will, obviously, welcome to the show. Uh, before we get started, uh, just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and the AFPM. Well, uh, thanks, Chad. Okay, well, let me start off with AFPM. It, uh, you know, as you uh, alluded it to, it's the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers. We're a trade association headquartered down in Washington D.C. and we proudly represent, as the name implies, the U.S. refining industry. So those that take crude oil and uh, refine it into the products uh, that people can actually use, gasoline, diesel, jet fuel, heating oil, really important at this time of year. And we also represent the petrochemical manufacturers that take uh, natural gas liquids and turn it into the base products that make modern life possible. So think plastics and all the synthetics that go into literally everything that we see and touch. Um, we represent basically all of the domestic industry. We, I'm proud to tell folks here in D.C. we're one of the oldest trade associations in the country. We go all the way back to, to 1902. And so we're engaged on public policy. Uh, we're engaged in litigation and education and safety. We have a huge safety programs working uh, with our labor friends to make sure that AFPM, our communities, and our refineries are, are safe, uh, not only for our workforce, but again, for the surrounding community. And, as and, far as me, Jadok, I've been here for seven years. Uh, before that, I practiced environmental law for a couple of decades, working a lot with folks in the industry, again, to make sure we're doing things as in the most environmental friendly way it's possible while continuing to meet the energy needs of the country. And see, that's, that's, that's a, a great point. I mean, one of the things that we uh, wanted to do was not only educate our listeners, the general public, our labor community on common sense and the details. You mentioned several things there. Um, you know, when you talk about petrochemicals, we, and, and this is, uh, a little humor, but we'd all be sitting here naked, okay? If 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 we if we could push a button and shut it and shut it off, five to six thousand uh, products are comprised of petrochemicals that we use every day, including renewables. But the big misnomer uh, that our energy, our traditional energy industry, does not care about the environment is just ridiculous. And so we've been so fortunate on this broadcast to have some of the top people in the industry at all levels. Like we, you know, we talked about the shale industry, obviously the refining industry, the Western Energy Alliance, and a lot of our people here on the East Coast. And I got to tell you, um, you know, and by, by the way, Joe, Joe Krause and I, you know, we're, we're, uh, 
you know, we're regular people that, you know, we felt we thought we were, you know, uh, kitchen table environmentalists as well until we started to. In other words, we all care about the environment. But when we started to hear, you know, what's going on and then we hear statements like, you know, here, here you are, the president and CEO of the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers, and you were an environmental attorney before you took that position over. And so it's such a big misnomer that that our leaders in that industry don't care, correct? Uh, absolutely correct. I take, you know, great pride in that. And not only was an environmental attorney, uh, Jay Doc, but I spent three years at EPA, in fact, and so, you know, I know it's important to all the leadership within the industry. We, we talk a lot about what, you know, what we call the dual challenge. And our challenge is to provide the fuels and the petrochemical that we know people need to thrive, economies need to thrive, but we also have to do it sustainably. And so I'm proud to say uh, that our emissions are down, you know, 70 odd percent over the last couple of decades. We're continuing to drive emissions down. Uh, we continue to focus on sustainability. The amount of renewable fuels we're producing continues to go up. Our safety record, you know, which is part of the whole package as well, you know, we're a top five in terms of safety performance of all of the, you know, the several hundred manufacturing sec sectors monitored by the Department of Commerce. We're top five. So I can tell you our industry cares about it. We put our money where our mouth is. Um, and so, yeah, it, I agree with you, Jadok. When I talk to folks, they're always surprised to hear this. Uh, and we have to do, I have to do a better job in making sure that people understand that and communicate that more. And what's interesting is uh, one of the issues, and, and, and I have conversations with Brendan Williams on this uh, often, but uh, trying to get regular people to understand, regular people like us as, as broadcasters, um, ironically, you know, we're, we're members of the general public uh, at the same time. Uh, a lot of these issues, especially when you're talking about the RFS and RINs and all those things, can be very, very complicated. In a sense, we look at our response, it, that it's our responsibility, in a sense, to be translators so that the general public can understand these issues. And so... Uh, you, know, it, it, you know, we're real proud of, of, of the people we've met and, and, and that we've introduced to the, to the public. Our goal is to change the narrative, and we've run into a ton of issues. So, uh, Chet, without kind of further ado, and, and people are probably wondering, okay, especially when we talk about the topic that we're going to primarily talk about today, you know, how do they, how do they mesh together with uh, the head of the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers? And one of the things that Brendan and I have said often is uh, sometimes, you, you know, we feel like we're living in the twilight zone, particularly with a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the issues that we deal with. But it rings really true on the topic we're going to deal with today, which is uh, the mandates, statewide mandates across the country uh, of the EV, electronic vehicle mandates, which in a sense are, you know, banning the sales of gasoline and diesel powered vehicles. Uh, you know, so uh, that is a, you know, when you look, when you delve into it and, you know, if you're a, if you're a regular guy walking down the street, you know, why, why wouldn't you say, okay, let's, you know, let's do it, right? Uh, there are so many issues that are related to it. It's, uh, it, it's, 
kind of ridiculous. The California decided it was going to literally ban the sales of gasoline and diesel-powered vehicles by 2035, after which it will only allow electric vehicles to be sold. To make matters worse, the Clean Air Act actually allows 17 other states to essentially follow California's lead. Okay. Joe, where are we with the break? Uh, we're about 4.15 out. Okay. So, we, let's delve in, into this. Um, can, for, Chet, first off, can you explain to our listeners what the Clean Air Act is and how California is permitted to do this? Uh, sure. Uh, let me let me give it a shot. First of all, again, I, I can't thank you guys enough for bringing attention to this issue. Absolutely. Because what we find with talking to consumers all across the country is most don't really know that this initiative is underway, frankly. And we really need to make sure people do so they, they can weigh in. Absolutely. The other thing, JDOC, is, we're, we're, you know, we are not, as an, in, as an industry, opposed to electric vehicles. You know, we're a free market organization, and we think, you know, everything to compete for consumers to be able to have a choice to choose. Our issue with this issue is, again, it's not electric vehicles per se, which, as you pointed out, incidentally, aren't even possible without our product. Right. You know, most of these electric vehicles, half of their, their weight uh, come from plastic, which are all, you know, derived from petrochemicals. Our issue here is with mandates. And when you start to rob the consumers of the choice to pick the vehicles that, that meet their needs and meet their budget. So what's happening is the, the Clean Air Act, uh, which governs, you know, uh, how both the federal government regulates the way uh, emissions from manufacturing sectors and the state, uh, was first passed back in, you know, 1970. And in that, you know, they decided a couple of things. They decided that standards as far as emissions from automobiles we're going to be the exclusive domain of the federal government. The federal government is the regulator of those standards, and they did it so you wouldn't have a patchwork of regulations across the country. However, they did make, uh, they carved out something specific for California, and they said that California could have their own standards uh, if they could show that emissions from cars created. Well, compelling and extraordinary situations given California's terrain. Basically, if you think about the California basin, it's, it's sandwiched in between the mountains and the ocean, and that makes for certain uh, situations where small can get bad. So what Congress said is, okay, California, you could have your own standards. If you want, you could show that you really needed them because of your topographer, topography and geography. And that, you know, that that was something that most folks have lived with. And uh, I should say what to your your reference to 17 states, JDOC, what what Congress then said was, OK, states, you could either pick to follow California standards or the federal standards. <laughs> so that has has, you know, is the way things work for many decades. And normally California created their own standards as it related to small forming pollutants, usually, you know, again, very local issues. Until, you know, a few years ago when California decided uh, that they were going to start to adopt uh, standards that would force the electrification of the fleet. And they started to say, hey, wait, we need this because of our, you know, air quality. And we think that that basically exceeds their authority because 
again, up until now, all of their issues were about local air quality concerns. When you get into things like greenhouse gas emissions, right. uh, a ton of emissions in California is no different than emissions in China or in New Jersey or New York. And so we don't believe that they have this authority, uh, but they they're put their heads down. And as you said, that they adopted two rules, one a couple years ago, which created a mandate of about 22% electric vehicles. And now they just adopted one that literally will ban all gas and diesel powered uh, vehicles in, in 2035. And as you said, 17 other states have followed suit, which is 40% of the new car market. Very, very big issue. And when, and when you talk about those, well, first of all, the, the other states can essentially just opt into the California standard, right? So what you're saying is if they're able to, uh, you know, to take, you know, the, the uh, previous standard, which is local uh, jurisdiction, and expand it, uh, obviously, to the scope that they're doing, um, it takes it to a whole nother level. Now, other, other states are essentially opting into the California standard, which if they're allowed to expand uh, uh, you know, to, the, to the level that they're going, you know, can be pretty, you know, uh, that's, that's kind of mind-boggling. No, that, that, that's absolutely right. And so these 17 states have, you know, well, most of them have decided voluntarily to do it. I will tell you there are, there are four states that, in, you know, in their state laws, they have to follow California. Okay. And that's New Jersey, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New York. So as the bureaucrats in California go, so do those you know constituents in those states. It's a really big issue, and I'm willing to bet JDoc that very few people in you know New Jersey, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York have any clue what's coming their way. Chet Thompson joining us here on the Labor and Energy Show with Jadoc and Krause. Chet joining us from down uh, in Washington, D.C., where our listeners on WMAL tune in to the Labor and Energy Show on a weekly basis. We'll take a commercial break. Back in a moment. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. Now it's time for Did You Know? A public service announcement from the providers of this program. Did you know carbon capture and storage technology is one of the few proven technologies that can deliver deep emissions reductions in industrial sectors? Did you know? First chartered in 1903, Steamfitters Local 420 has been constructing and installing mechanical systems throughout the Delaware Valley for over a century. United by excellence, this local is proud to have worked on projects such as the Sun Oil Refineries, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and the stadiums for all our Philly teams. From helmets to hard hats, Local 420 represents the history of Philadelphia. Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, business manager. PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit fuelingusjobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today. Listen to the Labor and Energy Show and get educated from expert guests about climate change. What they say and who they are will surprise you. Presented by PBF Energy, Neuter Construction, and Fernet. 
Mass Electrical Contractors. The Labor and Energy Show, this Sunday night at 6. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are being supported by the members of the Labor Union Community, including Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell Business Manager, the Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters, and the United Steelworkers. And back here on the Labor and Energy Show with Jay Doc and Krause. We thank everybody for tuning in, as we always do. And remember, a quick reminder, if you miss any of today's broadcast, or if you want to download the broadcast or download the uh, podcast version of the Labor and Energy Show, you can do so on Apple or Spotify. Just search the Labor and Energy Show. j Doc, back to you. Yeah, we're, we're having a, a fantastic conversation with Chet Thompson, President and CEO of the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're talking, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Clean Air Act, uh, and, and we're talking about emission standards and all those things. But now we're, get, we're delving into uh, electric vehicle mandates. Okay, and at, the, at that point, it takes the whole premise of the Clean, Clean Air Act and the initial uh, California's initial uh, ability to, uh, you know, to be able to mandate and have their own rules uh, when it comes to the environment, and takes it to a whole new level. Because, like Chet said, oh, what's it? Uh, new Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, and Connecticut automatically follow the lead of of California. Uh, Chet, are, are there other states that that? Typically, you know, even though they're not, they don't, they don't, they're not required to follow California standard, but um, they can opt in if they want. They have discretion to do it. Is that true? And and if so, because we know Delaware decided to be uh, to to, to uh, opt into obviously the, these these mandates. Uh, and what other states? And I, I don't expect you to name them all, but uh, just a few that are following California's lead. Well, in addition to the four I mentioned, there, there are 13 others that are following in some form, including you mentioned Delaware. I think Delaware, the common period for that is open throughout this month, in fact. So I urge your listeners to weigh in. But, you know, there are other states, Maryland, Maine, most of the, the Northeast, uh, Colorado, uh, Oregon, uh, you know, the West Coast states as well. Virginia did opt in, but now with uh, their new governor, they're in the process of trying to opt back out. And again, it's important, you know, to, for me to reiterate that this is about, you know, eliminating choice. It's, you know, folks want to buy electric vehicles, have at it, you know, God bless you. Um, this is about these states giving consumers no choice and basically taking what was the original authority we talked about in the earlier segment about the Clean Air Act and totally manipulate it and, into something that we really don't think they can do. And again, so California had the ability to adopt standards uh, specific to their local air quality needs. And now they're trying to do this to mandate and change the transportation policy of the, of the entire country. So we, we think this far exceeds their authority. And you, you might imagine, you know, we here at AFPM are, are pushing back. Uh, you know, we have, uh, are legally challenging what California is up to. We, we will point out that we don't think that they have this authority because they can't show that their regulations are going to uniquely uh, help California or to deal with something that California is dealing with that other states aren't. Right. When it comes to greenhouse gas emissions, as the Supreme Court, we believe, recently weighed into this topic in a case in the West Virginia uh, that, you know, ruling came out a few months ago, that questions this big 
should not be left to be the bureaucrats in Sacramento right. or bureaucrats here down in Washington. These are the situations that should be decided by Congress. Absolutely. And, and when we look at California, okay, they've been pushing this electric vehicle, electric vehicles, uh, you know, for some time now. And, and they spent close to a billion dollars on the issue. They have uh, a low carbon fuel standard that incentivizes electric vehicles. They even regulate fuels under their greenhouse gas cap and, and trade program. Are, are they anywhere close? What, what's the percentage of cars on the road in California that are electric? Do we, do we have an idea? Yeah, I think on the road right now is about total three percent of the of the market. Right. Uh, they did have a, a a nice jump in new uh, car EV sales. I think hit about eighteen percent so far this year. Right. So a, a fair number on new car sales, but pretty small when it comes to the total, uh, you know, in fleet market right now in California. And then the other thing, it's going to have you know very very little impact. I saw the other day, Joe, a a factoid that showed that even if there were 300 million electric vehicles on the road, so basically if every single gas and diesel-powered truck in the United States came off the road and we replaced them with 100% EVs, that would impact, you know, world oil demand by only 10%. And 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 let's okay. uh, by the so, way, we're going to we're going to we're going to touch on that and and in, and in fact um, you know especially in the area of the critical minerals needed to mine uh, for you know, needed to be mined for you know for the batteries um, there's so many one of the things we've noticed we're being we're being hoodwinked Jadoc but we're being Joe, is it anything is it anything you hear that when you hear Chet say use that analogy, and I didn't mean to jump into the conversation, but when you hear him use that analogy of replacing every vehicle and the end result, what's the end result of the decision? 10%. Mind-boggling. What's what's even more mind-boggling, and this is is one of the things that we've heard throughout this process, and and there's so many good people out there, and I, you know, I mean, friends, family of all of us, um, that the one thing that they don't get that they, they aren't getting from, um, you know, any media, res, uh, media sources and for some reason. And maybe it's because members of the media don't understand it. And, and certainly a lot of our political leaders don't understand it. But it's the details. It's the little teeny details like, oh, by the way, that, you know, in, in, in regards to uh, the fantasy of going one for one, 300 million automobiles, just if we had a, a magic wand that would just... Get rid of the uh, internal combustion engine. Replace everything with um, EVs. Okay, and if you asked our, you know, family and friends, uh, those, you know, if that was possible, would you do it? Everybody'd say yeah. However, you you know, the the details uh, like uh, the 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 critical minerals. We had we had. Uh, uh, who do we have on the program not long ago who was uh, talking about, I think it was a, it was a Mark job. Mills. Mark Mills, right. And Mark Mills was talking about the critical minerals needed um, to, to be mined in order to do that. And the devastation uh, that, it would, that would, it, it would cause to the environment, but the fact that there, you know, it isn't even imaginable that we have enough critical minerals to be able to do that. Uh, you know, it, it, it's what puts... A lot of our issues, and and the general public, and this has gotten serious. I mean, people are making decisions. You talk about mandates, okay? By thir- by, by 2035. I mean, it's got to have you, you know, literally um, in the twilight zone yourself. Well, 
it does. And let me tell you, Jadav, watching what's happening in Europe and watching, you know, Europe realizing the downsides of being so dependent on other countries for their energy, you know, in, in that case, Russia. And so, you know, you alluded to China. So about 80% of the rare earth and, and critical minerals needed right now to support electric vehicle growth to this magnitude, 80% of it, uh, we import today from China. Yeah. So right now we have the ability to be energy secure in this country and in North America to, to meet the needs of our transportation and get people to work and cool and everything else. And now we want to trade that in to be dependent on the on minerals from China. Well, I mean, I, I, it really makes no sense, and very few people understand that. And you know, the other thing I got to point out is, you know, this notion that that zero emitting vehicles or EVs are so much cleaner is also not entirely the full story, right? right? right. Our cars today are 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 a hundred percent cleaner than they were back in 1975, twice the gas mileage, and we get 75% more power out of our vehicle. So we have a good story to tell, and we're continuing to make improvements, and we're going to trade all that in right. for the fancy notion that there's such a thing as a zero-emitting vehicle, and we're going to be dependent on China. And oh, by the way, you know those electric cars actually plug into something. Right. Right? Right. And exactly. so all you're doing is, is displacing where, you know, the emissions from your tailpipe is someplace else. And if you're plugging into a coal-fired power plant, which still, I saw today, 22 states, still the dominant power source in this country is coal. Well, you know, you're actually going to make things worse by doing that than a very fuel-efficient car that most of, you know, most people can afford to drive in this country. And, and it's interesting because, uh, you know, people, th- we talked about the details, right? Those are the details I'm talking about. Okay. And, and when you talk about China and you talk about, you know, the Congo and the slave labor that they have, uh, you know, doing the actual mining for these critical minerals. Okay. It's not enough that these decisions, and when you're talking about mandates, they, these aren't hypothetical. I mean, we're actually making uh, decisions. Political leaders are making decisions. The general public, who doesn't understand these details, um, are supporting them. And we're not even making, we're not even mining the bad, the, the, for the critical minerals and getting all the work here in the United States. You talk about um, our, our energy independence and we're giving it away. Um, that is just wrong on 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 so many levels. So having said, and as a labor guy, and, and J-Dog, go ahead. You know, you know, it's really important for your listeners to know one of the things because I know you know we've been talking a lot about California today, but you know it's also happening by this administration and this administration's EPA. So because there's three tracks to this to electrify the transportation. What California's doing, the federal EPA just came out with their own rule, which is you know, is the equivalent of a 17% electric vehicle mandate. Mm-hmm. And the president has announced repeatedly that his goal is to also ban new uh, gasoline-powered cars by 2035. Awesome. And then you also have NHTSA getting in on the action on, on what, you know, the fuel efficiency standards. Right. So your listeners need to appreciate that this is a whole-of-government approach uh, underway right now, and we really need folks to to understand what's happening and to weigh in and to ensure that we're able to provide them with transportation they can afford and meet their family. You know, 80% of the new electric vehicle purchases in California 
or by those who make over $100,000 a year. Uh, exactly. Okay, so oh, these let's... electric vehicles are, are being are, are, are for a certain lifestyle. And and a hundred percent on that. Okay. It, it, you know, right. You know, that is such a big point. We only have a couple minutes. Okay. And this is, uh, you know, we're going to be, you know, we're going to, we're obviously, we're going to have Chet back on the program, uh, but Chet real quick. Uh, and I don't know if we can do this real quick, but what are the implications for revi- refiners here? Well, you know, certainly the implications are, you know, if, if in fact 40% of the new car market were to be forced out of, you know, gas and diesel, I mean, that would certainly impact domestic demand for products and, and make it harder for a lot of refineries to remain competitive. And, you know, there are, you know, as you know, hundreds of thousands of jobs at stake. Yep. And we're getting, you know, beat up right now about why did we lose six refineries uh, over the last couple of years? Well, it's because of bad policy. And so these are these, this is further pressure to, to maintain a critical manufacturing sector in this country. So, you know, this, this will have big impact if we keep going down this path. Listen, we're, this is just the tip of the iceberg, Joe. Uh, I, I mean, literally speaking, um, you know, can't wait to, you know, obviously continue this discussion with Chet. Uh, Chet, uh, listen, we want to thank you so much. Uh, for your time, obviously for the information, uh, and 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 certainly, uh, we, you know, I'll tell you what I love to do. I'd like I'd like I'd love to get the head of our trade organizations, the head of the shale industry. I'd like to get Chet. I'd like to get Kathleen Sagama, uh, all on a broadcast to, to expand this conversation uh, on a summit um, to expand this conversation because it's great information. Yeah, really, really good stuff. Chet Thompson joining us, and of course, as we go to break, and we say uh, thank you to Chet for joining uh, the Labor and Energy Show today. It's nice to have uh, another Eagles fan down in Commander, <laughs> down in Washington Commander Country. <laughs> Not really, uh, but well done. Chet. Chat. Thank you much, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, and you can have Wentz back. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to a commercial break here on the Labor and Energy Show. On the other side, one segment to go. David Stevenson from the Caesar from the Caesar Rodney Institute will join us after the break. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. Now it's time for Did You Know? A public service announcement from the providers of this program. Did you know wind power depends on hydrocarbons? That's because inside those turbines are gears and axles, a generator, all sorts of moving and turning parts. And moving parts need lubrication. And lubrication means oil. Did you know? Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Neuter Integrated Multicraft Contractors has been a force since 1896. That's right, 1896. And specializes in welding, piping, mechanical, structural, constructability reviews, project management, and rigging design services. For a free consultation, call Neuter at 314-421-7600. Neuter proudly serves petroleum refining, chemical processing, power generation, and alternative energy. Get in touch with Neuter at 314-421-7600. 
listen to the Labor and Energy Show and get educated from expert guests about climate change. What they say and who they are will surprise you. Presented by PBF Energy, Neuter Construction, and Furness Electrical Contractors. The Labor and Energy Show, this Sunday night at 6. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are presented by PBF Energy and supported by members of the labor union community, a collaborative to educate the public and change the narrative. And back here on the Labor and Energy Show, j good opening uh, two segments and a really, really good conversation, not for today's show, but I often wonder uh, why common sense doesn't factor in when we as consumers process the narrative that we're being well, fed. Well, because it's a, a, a lack of information uh, that, that people are provided, um, and, and that's what why we're here. And so uh, I'm ecstatic uh, to bring back onto the, onto the broadcast uh, David T. Stevenson, director uh, at the Center for Energy and Environment at the Caesar Rodney Institute. David, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me back. I am so happy to be here. Well, it Common is, sense is what we're all about. Exactly. Exactly. And it is, it is fantastic to have you, of course. We, we just had Chet Thompson, who was the president and CEO of the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers, uh, on the program. Okay, and and uh, he was explaining, you know, how the regulations to ban gasoline-powered cars are increasingly, um, you know, increasing rapidly. Uh, so, because particularly because of the California actions. The last time uh, you were on the show, uh, we discussed uh, how Delaware was touring with the gasoline-powered car ban and actually announced its intent to move forward. Since that appearance, it appears that uh, that the state has taken steps uh, toward developing. A gas, uh, a gas-powered car ban regulation. Can you give our audience a brief recap of what Delaware is doing to implement California's gas-powered uh, car ban? Yes, uh, it goes back uh, a little ways. Governor Carney uh, placed an executive order back in 2017 to do whatever California wants to do. He was going to follow them. Then this past March, he specifically directed our air quality division to start writing a regulation uh, specifically to do this EV mandate, which is really a a gas-powered vehicle ban. Right. Uh, So that that regulation is moving full steam. It it actually, the initial public hearings were held. The uh, public comment period closed on December 2nd uh, for this version of, of the of the regulation. It'll open again when they, what they're going to do now is they're going to look at all the public comments, see if they need to make changes, which they will ignore the public comments. They always do. Uh, they will then write a final regulation. There will be one more public comment period. And it looks like by the end of uh, the first quarter of 2023, this will be the law in Delaware. It's amazing to me, staggering, actually, okay, the lack of details that people understand about this. And, and the fact that, you know, what, what Chet said was, and I agree with him, uh, Joe Krauss, um, yeah, we're, we're all for electric vehicles. Fantastic. By the way, they cost an arm and a leg, okay? So, uh, you know, that's, that's one thing. And by the way, fantastic. Let's, let's support that. But creating mandates uh, and, and certainly... 
you know, people not really understanding what they're doing is actually it, 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 it's a staggering, uh, you know, it's a staggering situation. I, I understand um, that Delaware is also telling people this is not a gasoline power car ban. Is that yes? They were, yeah, absolutely. They they recognize uh, the people at uh, Denver recognize that if you start talking gasoline bans, uh, they're going to get people upset and they're going to get a lot more pushback. Right. So they are avoiding that uh, every way they can, but it's, it's simply not true. At, at the end of this, uh, it, you know, it's a phased in as you, as you probably talked about in the last segment. It's a phased in deal where, you know, by 2026 uh, calendar year, you're going to have a 35% requirement for EVs by 2035, uh, 100%. And by the way, I, I, past experience says that's going to get moved up. To, that'll get accelerated uh, along the way. But when you get to 100%, you will not be able to register a new gasoline or diesel-powered vehicle in Delaware. Simple as that. That is a ban. You can you can twist it any way you want, but that is a ban. So how are they getting away with saying it's not a gasoline? What are they saying it is? Uh, they're simply saying the only thing we're doing is requiring auto manufacturers uh, to stock the dealers with 35% uh, uh, EVs. Uh, there's no requirement to sell them, although there's a $20,000 fine per vehicle uh, 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 over the limit uh, right. <laughs> if you don't sell the 35%. But all we're doing is requiring the, the, the cars to be stocked. And and you can still register uh, gas-powered cars in Delaware. But what they don't say is, after after 2035, they, they would have to be used cars. And, and how long are they going to be on the road? So uh, they're, they're doing everything they can to avoid that uh, term ban. Uh, they, they, they know it's their, their death knell in this process. Do you think our, uh, a lot J-Duck, of... J-Duck, just oh, real, go ahead. I'm just sorry, real quick. So 12, approximately 12 years from now, I will not be able to register a new gasoline-powered vehicle in the state of Delaware. That's correct. And in every other state, you know, there's 17 states considering following this policy. Right. It will happen in all those other states as well. Well, four of them automatically follow California State, like Chet Thompson said, uh, New Jersey, Connecticut, New York, and Massachusetts, which makes sense because they're on the East Coast. I mean, you know, why they would automatically uh, follow California's, uh, you know, initiative. And so, uh, and that's sarcasm, by the way. Um, what is, has your organization said at these, uh, at these hearings? Yeah, um, they, they, we're trying to correct the myths. So there's, there's a couple of big myths. The first one is that EVs will end motor vehicle air pollution and carbon dioxide emissions. The second one is EVs will save on fuel costs. And the third one is uh, EVs will be price competitive before you know it. And uh, there won't be this huge, uh, which is, by the way, about 14000 per vehicle is the average number of premium price for these things. All of those things are not true. So um, the first one on the pollution standard, first of all, you got to understand, we've been, since 1990, we've had low emission vehicle standards. There's two major pollutants. Uh, one is nitrous oxides. They have been reduced 83% since 1990. 
and volatile organic compounds have been reduced 91%. And they're going to keep falling as old cars leave, leave the, the fleet. So we have made unbelievable progress on air pollution with gasoline-powered vehicles. And the uh, 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 going to make more progress, and, and it's already contributed. Delaware is meeting every national air quality standard at this point, and robustly meeting it. We don't have dirty air in Delaware anymore. We have clean air. Right? I was going to ask and you, does Delaware have an air quality issue? No, there is no air quality issue. We've met and have met for several years now. The last county was uh, Newcastle County to meet it. Uh, so, no, we do not have an air quality problem. On top of what's happening with emissions, emissions from all other sources have also fallen by these similar amounts. Uh, there's not an air quality issue in Delaware anymore. And that's really the underlying excuse uh, that's being used to write this regulation. It's about air quality. Yeah. Delaware does not have a regulation that allows them to control carbon dioxide, so they're basing it on air quality. And so having said that, 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 that do an overwhelming amount of uh, people in Delaware even drive EVs? No. <laughs> you've, you've got about, there's about a million vehicles registered in Delaware, and there's about, there's less than uh, 2,000 EVs. Uh, it's, you know, two-tenths of one percent. Uh, sales are running, uh, new car sales in Delaware are about 45000 a year. They're selling maybe 300 or so per year. It's less than one percent of the, of the sales. So tell me how you're going to get from one percent uh, to, to 35 uh, percent by, by 2026. I, I guarantee you. Three, four years from now. I saw one of my best friends, sells, he's a salesman at an auto dealership. And I asked him, just as, you know, he's in, he's in uh, a suburb of, of, of Philly, and they have never sold an electric vehicle. Not one. And literally speaking, I think they had one, and it was sent back. I mean, the actual frontline industry is so far behind. Uh, and, 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 and so when you think about people who are writing checks that, you know, you know literally can't be cashed, it's confusing, but it's not a joke because there's mandates being created at the legislative level that are just, it, it's mind-boggling. Let me ask you a question. I think it's smoke and mirrors, Jada. Yeah, it's, it's, smoke, not, it's, it's unrealistic. It's going too far, when though. When David just gives us those numbers, think about that. Think about the number of vehicles in the state of Delaware. It's, it can't happen. By the way, California has 3%. 3% EVs, and at this point, economically, they cost so much more than, you know, regular cars. Having said that, because we only have a couple of minutes, David, and we appreciate the conversation. Yeah. This is great. A lot of advocates for gas-powered car bans and, and electric vehicle mandates try to make the argument that they're better for the environment, obviously. But that's that's not even really necessarily true. A lot of people don't know about the mer- minerals needed for the batteries, and you still need to electrify electrif- uh, uh, the electricity to power the vehicles. A-, a few years ago, you noted that given the electricity mix here in the Mid-Atlantic, EVs may not actually be zero emitting. Talk to us a little more about that. Sure. These things, um, you know, when you use electricity, first of all, Delaware's been closing all, down all its power plants. So we're bringing in two-thirds of our power from out of state. So we're still using coal-fired plants. We're using natural gas-fired plants. Those plants are a lot cleaner than they used to be, but they still have some emission. 
when you take those emissions, you know, that's people think, oh, I'm just plugging into the electric uh, socket here. I'm not emitting anything. But to get that electricity, you're doing that. So on top of that, when you transmit electricity from further away, you lose some of that energy. And Delaware is the worst state in the nation for that. We lose 11% of the electricity we generate uh, just getting it here. And then you got to convert from AC to DC power. That loses another 10%. So you're, you're generating pollution with all these factors. And um, plus, as you said, a 1,000-pound battery, which is a typical weight for these EV batteries, you've moved 150,000 pounds of dirt and rock to get to it. Sure. And you're generating uh, pollution and carbon dioxide when you're doing all that. Plus, these things only last uh, eight years, 100,000 miles, and then you got to put a new battery. Sure. So you start, you've wasted all that power again. So when you get down to it, there's a whole bunch of studies that show that there's hardly any savings of, of uh, pollution or, or uh, uh, carbon dioxide when you get done with this. Yeah, so what I was going to say, it's just a further reason uh, that, that uh, I, you know, you, you feel like you're in the twilight zone on this purpose. Joe, what, how much time do we have? we got about a minute and a half, and I know David had something to close, and yeah, I know you I, had to close. Well, David, well, David, sure. David, I'll give you the last word. Uh, yeah. So, number one, if these myths that, that they're using to base this on are true, you don't need a mandate. Uh, if, if, if EVs are the same price and they're clean and all of this, which they're not, uh, why do they need a mandate to sell? Uh, secondly, uh, what action people need to take? Exactly. So that the, was the, my point. Yeah, exactly. So, the action that needs to be taken, this is all from executive orders from John Carney. So right now, John Carney needs to hear from as many people as possible at governor.carney at Delaware.gov. That's, the, uh, that's his email address. He's got to hear about this because he's the one driving this. And then later, there's, there may be some legislation coming up to support this. We need to fight that legislation when it comes up. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we've, we've got to fight back on this. This is going to be a disaster economically well having said that our energy education and awareness council that's our yeah that's which is part of the broadcast um that's our mission to keep the public informed uh david love to have you uh back on discussing this and please please um keep us abreast of these issues so we can inform the public and educate them on so they can uh, you know, and, and like and like you said, call uh, Governor Carney in Delaware. Uh, you know, email them. Uh, have your voice be heard. Uh, and and David, if you will, keep us informed. We really appreciate you know your time and what you're doing. Will do, and your audience is is key to this. You got the guys that that can respond to this. Absolutely, David Stevenson, Caesar Rodney Institute, Director of Center of Energy and Environment, joining us here on the Labor and Energy Show. J Doc, thirty seconds, and then I got to say goodbye. No, I'm just I'm 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 ecstatic and appreciative to have David Stevenson and and Chet Thompson on the broadcast to provide clarity, education, and information uh, to, to to the members of our general public who, in some senses, because they don't have that information. Joe, 
are supporting things they just don't understand. And again, our mission is common sense and energy from a labor and energy standpoint. And so that's our goal. If the listeners are listening, uh, you know, call Governor Carney and 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 and, uh, and and stay in tune here because our our lives, our livelihood, our independence, our energy independence, all depend on it. That's going to do it for this edition of the Labor and Energy Show with Jadoc and Krause. On behalf of our guests today, on, be- on behalf of our partners, and of course on behalf of all of our listeners, I'm Joe Kraus. Look for common sense, everyone. It's right in front of you. See you next time. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. You can help. Call your congressperson and join the movement to push back on RINs. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded.